We now move on to chapter 2 of the book of Esther. Perek Beis of Megillas Esther. As I pointed out yesterday, Perek Aleph, the first chapter, does not discuss the Jewish people at all. It seems, take, taking it by itself, to just be a story, uh, kind of a palace drama uh, with a king and a queen and some wise men. As we move to chapter 2, the story begins to take on a whole different meaning. And the parak begins with the Apostle Posuk begins with Posuk Aleph. Achar hadvorim ho'ela kishoch hamas hamelech achashverosh. It came to pass after the story retold above, when the anger of the king subsided. Zochares vashti v'yeis asher ososo v'yeis asher nigzar oleho. He, the king Ahasuerus, remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. And the king's young people, the servants who attended him, the king's young people, the servants who attended him, said, Let's look, let's seek out some beautiful young maidens for your majesty. In other words, the Na'are HaMelech somehow sensed that the king was upset. And we don't find this in the apostle. Rashi adds, Zohar es Vashti es Yofyo, that he remembered Vashti's beauty, Vine etzav, and he became saddened. And he began to regret what he had done. And the Na'areha Melech said, okay, let's, um, let's find another beauty for the king. And let's find a beauty who is among the Tovos Mare, as Vashti was described as Tovas Mare, a very beautiful in her appearance. So too, let us seek out Tovos Mare. Now what is interesting immediately is that it is the Na'arei HaMelech, it is the young servants of the king who give him advice. Gan are the um, advisors that we learned about just yesterday. They're gone. And one of the Midrashim suggests that when he realized that the advice that they gave him resulted in the death 
of his queen, they, uh, he immediately got rid of them one way or the other, and therefore they're out of the picture, and it's the Na'arei HaMelech, these young upstarts, so to speak, who uh, take their place. The Afkeit HaMelech Pekidim, they suggest, let the king appoint uh, agents, emissaries, Bechol Medinos Malchuso, to search through every province in your kingdom. And let them gather every beautiful young virgin to the capital city, to the fortress of Shushan. El Beis Hanoshim, to the harem, to the place where the women, the wives of the king are kept. El Yad Hege Siris HaMelech, under the supervision of a man called Hege, who is the king's soris, the king's eunuch, Shomer Hanoshim, the one who is the guardian of the women, Vinoson Tamrukehem, and let them be provided with special cosmetics. Vihanaro Ashertitav Beene Hamelech, Timloch Tachas Vashti, and let that maiden who uh, finds favor who the king approves of, who impresses him, let her reign in Vashti's stead. That was their suggestion. And indeed, the king uh, was pleased by this proposal and he acted upon it. Some way to choose uh, a queen, you must admit. A beauty contest. Uh, a queen in those days was not merely a figurehead. A queen had substantial powers, and as Vashti presumably had. After all, Vashti made her own mishta, we remember. She reigned over the women in a way similarly similar to the way he reigned over the uh, men. Uh, but the king is not interested in finding a woman of great education, a woman of class, a woman from the aristocracy, a uh, woman with, uh, with um, wisdom, with the credentials, so to speak, to be a queen. He's just looking for another beauty. Then the Pasuk tells us something, almost parenthetically. As all this is going on, the king decides to appoint these emissaries to go out searching for the beautiful young maidens of the kingdom. We're introduced to an Ishihudi, a Jewish person, a man of Judah. He was, he happened to be in Shushan the fortress. And this man's name, Ushimo Mordechai, was Mordechai ben Yoir, ben Shimi, ben Kish, the son of Yoir, who was the son of Shimi, who was the son of Kish, Ish Yemini. He is a man from Binyamin, from Benjamin. We know that it is this posuk that we read, Bekol Rom. We read this posuk aloud. This is one of the four psukim which we read aloud because this is one of the psukim of Geula, the Arboa psukim of Geula, which the Shulchan Aruch instructs us to, in Hilchas Megillah, Simon Tafresh Tzadik, the Ramah says, 
שנוהגים לומר ארבו פסוקים של גאולו בכל רום. And this is one of those פסוקים. The Mishnabrura adds in the name of the Mordechai, the commentary Mordechai, בכל רום משום שמחו. We say it aloud because this פסוק is the first פסוק that gives us some joy. Until now, we're reading a story. We have no way of knowing where it's heading. Now, something good is happening. Something happy is happening. And we read it with great joy. The question, of course, is, who is this man, Mordechai? He's described in two ways. He is an Ish Yehudi, and he is an Ish Yemini. He's from Yehuda, he's from Binyamin. How exactly does that work? The Gemara Meseches Megillah has various opinions. The Gemara asks it as a question. Which one is it? Is he from Yehuda? Is he from Binyamin? One opinion suggests he was both. His father was from Binyamin, Ben Yoy, Ben Kish, Ish Yemini. And his mother was from Shevet Yehuda. But then there's an interesting discussion between the Amuroim. The Gemara says, Verabonon Amri. The Rabbonon said, Mishpochos Misgoros Zubazu. The different families among the Jewish people, the Yehuda families and the Binyamin families, were arguing, each one claiming Mordechai, or each one accusing the other tribe of fostering and raising Mordechai. Listen to this. Mishpachas Yehuda Meres Ani Goramti Sheyivoled Mordechai. I am the one who is responsible for Mordechai's birth because one of Mordechai's ancestors was Shimi. And Chazal say this was the infamous Shimi ben Gero who insulted David HaMelech. David did not in his lifetime kill Shimi. So Shimi could have descendants, ultimately Mordechai. It's because of David. So Yehuda says, David caused Mordechai to be born, in a sense. Ben Yomid said, no way. Mimeni Huba, he is, follow his genealogy, he is from Ben Yomid. So each one claimed him. Rova Omar, but Rova says something very profound. Knesses Yisrael Omro Le'idoch Giso. The Jewish people look at things just the opposite. Not to be proud that Mordechai came from our tribe, Quite the contrary. It's your fault, says Binyamin to Yehuda. No, it's your fault, says Yehuda to Binyamin, that Mordechai was born, because Mordechai is seen as a negative, not as a positive. In the words of Rashi, Meseches Megillah, The people were complaining, no, he's an Ishehudi, no, he's an Ishbinyamin, Ishimini, he's not one of us, it's not our fault. Because that's what caused this tsar. Which tsar? Ma'osol Yehudi. What did this Yehudi do? Because David did not kill Shimi, 
So Shimi ultimately became the ancestor of Mordechai. And now we have Mordechai. And Mordechai is the person who incites Haman. If Mordechai wasn't there, Haman would never get upset. And would never harm the Jews. So it's Mordechai's fault and ultimately David's fault. Yehuda, Ish Yehudi. And the others say, no. If Shaul had killed Agog, then there would be no Haman. But Shaul, who was from Benyamin, did not kill Agog. So therefore we have Haman to deal with. Jewish people, each one blaming the other. But he is an Ish Yehudi and he is an Ish Yemini. He is both. There's a beautiful Yalkut Shimoni, one of the Midroshim, that looks at it a little differently, asking the same question. Is he from Yehuda? Is he from Benyamin? Which is it? And the Yalkut says, Mishum shenosan Yehuda nafsho al Benyamin b'Mitzrayim. Let's book, look back to the first Ishihudi, to Yehuda, the son of Yaakov. And let's look back to the first Ishimini, Benyamin. And who saved, who tried to save Benyamin? Yehuda. Yehuda was ready to give his, offer himself up as a prisoner in Benyamin's stead. So Yehuda was the one who was ready to sacrifice himself in Benyamin. You, Yehuda, says the Rebbe were ready to give yourself up as an Eved in order to free Benyamin. That Goel, that Redeemer, namely Mordechai, that I, the Rebona Shalom, will one day appoint to come from Shevet Benyamin, although he is an Ish Yemini, I'm going to call him an Ish Yehudi because it was Yehuda who was ready to save Benyamin's life. Al Shimcha Nikosvo Ish Yehudi. There's much to be said about these two um, titles that Mordechai is given. The Apostle continues to describe something about Mordechai, and that is, Asher Hoglomir Sholai. He was exiled from Jerusalem. Im Hagolo Asher Hogloso Im Yechonyo Melech Yehuda. Together with those group of exiles who were exiled together with the king of Yehuda named Yechonyo. Asher Heglo Nevuchad Netzar Melech Bobel, who were driven into exile by King Nevuchad Netzar, the king of Bobel. Notice how many times in this one verse the word Golos, the word exile, appears. Hoglo. Hagulo, Hogluso, Heglo, again and again, the pain of Golos is felt. And indeed, when we read this Pasuk, we experience the pain of exile, and therefore we read this Pasuk in the Nigun to the tune of Megillas Echo. And I didn't comment yesterday on how ironic it is that we who are learning Nachyomi, in this particular cycle, are studying Megillas Esther in the middle of the nine days. 
And we will be studying Megillah Esther if we can on Tisha B'Av itself. And this Pasuk is very appropriate to uh, this time of year. This Pasuk is read, Asher Hoglo Mirushalayim Im Hagoilo Asher Hogliso Iyim Yichonyo Melech Yehudo so we switch from the happier narrative melody to the sad plaintive uh, lament that must be introduced uh, for these words to be properly felt. But there's one word in this pasuk which should give us hope, and that is the word Yerushalayim. And what is fascinating is that this is the only time that Yerushalayim is mentioned in this Megillah. In Megillah's Esther, the name of God is never mentioned, and the name Yerushalayim is mentioned only once, which is difficult to understand because the chronology of Megillah's Esther is approximately the same time, close in time certainly, to Doniel, to Ezra, to Nehemiah, books which we will be studying soon in the course of Nachyomi. And the whole content of those books is the desire and the attempt to rebuild Yerushalayim. But here in the Megillus Esther, everything is hidden. That's why it's called Esther, Hester. It's hidden. And we don't know too much about Yerushalayim, but it's mentioned here. But in a fascinating way, it's mentioned here and it is spelled Yerushalayim with the Yud toward the end. Most of the time in Tanakh, when the word Yerushalayim appears, it is spelled Yerushalayim without that second Yud. And here, it's one of the rare times when Yerushalayim is spelled with the Yud. One comment from the Gomorrah, again in Meseches Megillah, and again Rova speaking, when the Apostle says, Asher Heglo Mirushalayim, who was exiled from Jerusalem, says Rovo Shegolo Me'atzmo, he exiled himself. He didn't have to go into exile. The other Jewish people did, but he was free and he did what Yirmiyahu did. He exiled himself. He went into the exile voluntarily to be with his people. And the Apostle continues and tells us something about Mordechai and in the process introduces another new person to us. Vayihi Omein Es Hadaso. And this Mordechai raised, he was the foster father to a young woman named Hadasa. He Esther, that is Esther, Bastodo, the son of his uncle, his cousin, ki ein loh for she had no father or mother, and Chazal say that her father died before she was born, her mother died in childbirth, and she never knew her parents. This young maiden was beautiful in appearance, beautiful in um, physical beauty. 
When her father and mother died, Mordechai took her to him as a daughter, his own daughter. He adopted her. When we look at these Pesukim, we are a bit astounded. We understand he was a foster father. We understand she had no father and mother. It's a bit repetitive, but we even understand that he took her as a daughter. But what is this intermediate posuk? What does that have to do with his adopting her? The simplest approach is he adopted her, he raised her, Omein, he raised her. But he was, she was not yet to him as a daughter. He raised her because she had no father and mother. Then she grew and he began to appreciate she was a beauty. And in those days in Shushan, it was dangerous for a Jewish girl to be a beauty, especially at this moment when there were emissaries throughout the land scouring the land for beautiful young women. And Mordechai did not want her to be snatched by these pekidim, by these emissaries, and taken into this royal beauty contest. So therefore, he took her even closer to him. He adopted her as a daughter to watch her very, very carefully. What is an omen? An omen, says the... Um, Manos Halevi, of Shlomo Al-Kavitz, the author of the Chododi, whose Sefer I said I would draw from extensively and already had, have, sometimes mentioning him by name and sometimes not. He says that Mordechai actually saw to her that she was nursed. He provided for her as a nursemaid would. And that is why it is, he was called an Omen. And says Rav Shlomo Al-Kavitz, the term Omein is only found in the entire Tanakh to mean someone who raises and brings up and nurses a child. For example, Ka'asher from Parshas and more recently in our studies, Rus, Perek Dalid, Vatikach Naomi es Hayeled Vatihilo Li Omenes. Naomi was the nurse, the foster mother of the Yeled, uh, the child born to Boaz. And Rus, the child called Ovet. So we have three texts says the Manos Halevi, which indicate that Omen means to raise a young child, to nurture. Ushlosha edim kemeya, writes the Manos Halevi. Three witnesses are like a hundred witnesses. There are three places in Tanakh where Omen means, as he puts it, gidul v'yeniko, that's the meaning of the word. So he was a, a nursemaid, so to speak, to, um, to Esther. The Manos Halevi, however, continues and says something very profound. There is another meaning to the word Omein, which we find in the Bereshis Rabbah, in the Medrash. And this 
the Monal Salevi calls a biur niflo, a wonderful explanation of the word omen. And this is the text of the Medrash in Bereshus Rabbah, the very, very beginning of the Chumash. Rav Hoshio Rabbah kad havadorish b'maase Bereshus Posach. The great Rav Hoshio, the elder Rav Hoshio, when he would expound upon the events of the creation of the world, would begin with a posuk in Mishle. The posuk in Mishle, Perikhes, posuk Lamut, has the Torah personified and saying, the Torah says, Vo'eye etzlo omon. I was God's omon. What does the word omon mean? The Medrash suggests it means one of three, or perhaps all of three of the following. Omen pedagog. Omen means someone who trains, who teaches, who tutors. Omen mechusa. Omen omon also means someone who is hidden. And omon mutzna means someone who is concealed. Where do we find that omon means a pedagog? The Medrash quotes the Apostle Ka'asha Yisa HaOmein Es Hayonek. Where do we find that Omein means covered? Apostle says in Eicha HaAmunim Alei Tolo. They are covered, clothed with uh, silk garments. Where do we find that Omein means concealed? Omein means concealed, hidden. Vayehi Omein Es Hadasa. Mordechai concealed Hadassah, another meaning to the word Omen. Not he raised her, he, he nourished her, he brought her up, he reared her, but rather he concealed her, he hid her, he made sure that he, she was protected and hidden from the Pekidim, from the emissaries of Ahasuerus. A beautiful, beautiful, different interpretation of Omen. He hid her. Her name, Hadassah Esther. She had two names. And Rashi already teaches us that it was not uncommon for Jewish women to have a Jewish name and another name, a secular name, as it was that we have in America. Every Moshe is also Martin. Every uh, Chaim is also Hyman. So too, Hadassah Esther. But which was the Jewish name and which was the Persian name? So the Gemara again has various opinions. Rabbi Yehuda Omer Hadassah Shmo. Her real name was Hadassah. She was called Esther. Esther has the word Seser hidden in it because she hid her secret. Didn't tell Achashverosh about which nation she came from. Um... Others say Hadassah was her real name. She was called Esther because Al Shem Istahar. She was as beautiful as the moon. But then there are another opinion in the Gemara. Seches Megillah Daf Yud Gimel. Tanya Rav Meir Omer Esther Shemo. Her real name was not Hadassah. His real name was Esther. Why was she called Hadassah? Because she was a tzaddikas, a righteous woman. And righteous people, tzaddikim, are called hadasim. They are called hadasim. They, they are called by the plant, the beautiful flower, 
called the Hadas, the, the myrtle, which is so beautiful. And this woman, this young woman, was the Yafas Toar Vitovas Mare. Fascinating. This combination, Yafas Toar Vitovas Mare, shapely and beautiful, is something we find rarely in Tanakh, two other places, both in the Chumash, and only with reference to the descendants of our mother, Rochel. Rochel herself is described in Parshas Vayetze as a Yafas Toar, the Yafas Mare. The Rochel Hoysa Yafas Toar, the Yafas Mare. And Yosef, the son of Rochel, is also called Yefei Toar, the Yefei Mare. In Parshas Vayeshe, Vayihi Yosef, Yefei Toar, the Yefei Mare. And now we have the descendant of Rochel, descendant of Yosef through Ben, descendant of Rochel rather, through Benjamin, the um, Esther, who is Yifas Toar, the Tovas Mare. Something special to that uh, genetic uh, origin of Rochel Imenu. I want to mention that Chazal Darshan, a different take on Lekocha Mordechai Lo Levas, and say Levas means Levias, and for them Mordechai actually married Esther. She was his wife, not his daughter. A wife is sometimes called a daughter, a daughter is sometimes called a wife. A bas, a bias, and a wife is often called a bias. You know, the Gemara in Termis Gemara Mesech Shabbos, Amr Rabbi Yossi, Miyomai Loi Korosi Le Ishti Ishti, Uli Shori Shori El Le Ishti Besi. I would always call my wife my home, my house. Akeres Abayas. And this presents certain halachic issues which the Gemara discusses, but for our purposes, uh, we will not follow that line and simply understand that he was her foster father. And it came as people heard the Melech's rule. Back to the story. All the many young maidens were being gathered and brought to Shushan to the hands of the chief of the harem, Hegai. And among the people who were taken, but taken by force, coerced, Vatilokach Esther. Esther was taken, snatched. El Beis HaMelech. She was also snatched there. El Yad Hegai Shomer Hanoshi. To the hand of this man named Hegai, now referred to three times as the guardian of the women, the guardian of the harem. But Hegai, he had presumably seen many, many women in his time. And lo and behold, this woman was something special. She uh, found favor in his eyes. She impressed him. She was different. She was not like the other girls pushing and shoving and primping themselves and wanting to look beautiful and competing with each other and uh, gossiping, etc. Each one wanting to put the other one down and, and, and to, be, to be elevated at the expense of others, etc., etc. No, she was modest. She wasn't pushy. She was a snore. 
And this impressed her. And he hurried to give her her tamrukeho, her cosmetics, and her special portions. And Chazal suggests that he saw to it that she was given the special food, the kosher food that she needed. He also gave her the seven handmaidens that each one of these women were given by the order of the king. He put her through the beauty preparations to make her even that much prettier. And then a very key and important posugyut. Esther did not disclose, she did not tell about her people, her nation, her origins, nor of her family. She did not say who she came from. She did not say, she did not reveal that she was Jewish. Why? She listened to Mordechai. She was obedient. Mordechai said, don't tell. She didn't tell. And Mordechai, for his part, what did he do? He hung around. He walked to and fro before the courtyard of the Beis HaNoshim so that he could be nearby and hear what was going on and do whatever he could if he had to intervene on Esther's behalf. In order to discover... Um, what was happening with Esther. So these two psukim, Yud, Yud, Aleph, very important. Esther for her part, quiet. Mordechai for his part, cautious, watching, guarding, guarding, hovering, careful about the other person. Why did Esther not tell? Many reasons are given. Many reasons. Rashi says that she didn't want to tell who she comes from because if she did, she would have to disclose that she was a descendant of Shoal the king. She had royal blood and then she would be taken for sure as the queen and Mordechai did not want that. So says Rashi. Ibn Ezra suggests just the opposite. Mordechai felt that he wanted her to be, Mordechai wanted her to be taken as the queen. He knew that she would then become the instrument for the redemption of the Jewish people. So he wanted her to become the king, queen. The opposite of Rashi, says Ibn Ezra, according to some. But, she, he was afraid if she would say that she was Jewish, she would be disqualified. One of Ibn Ezra's, um, Yesh Omrim, one of the opinions he offers. But the Ibn Ezra himself prefers a different opinion as to why Esther was so secretive. Mordechai wanted her to not disclose that she was Jewish. If she wouldn't make a big show of the fact she was Jewish, she could quietly, secretly keep the Torah. She could eat only certain foods, etc., Shelo tochal nevelos v'tishmor hashabosos 
If you wouldn't make a fuss over it, say, I'm Jewish, I need kosher food. I'm Jewish, I don't work on Shabbos. But she would simply only choose kosher foods and quietly not do work on Shabbos. She would be much better off. So he didn't want her to be to tell that she was Jewish because then she might be forced to work on Shabbos, to eat on kosher foods, etc., etc. Beautiful opinion of the Ibn Ezra, and there are other opinions as to why she was silent. But let's, <clears throat> indeed, besides those reasons, specific reasons for why she was silent, the virtue of silence itself is important. And Chazal emphasized that there is an umnus, a skill, to shesika, to silence. And this skill of silence is something that Esther inherited from her ancestress, from Rochel. In the words of the Medrash Rabba here in Megillah's Esther, Malamei She adopted the, the strategy of silence. Kerochel zekinta, like Rochel, her grandmother, who also chose the vocation, the skill, the craft of silence. Rachel, of course, we know, was silent and didn't reveal that it was Leah who was being taken by Yaakov as his wife at first. And so too, Shaul, as Tevar Hamalukhalohigid, this is a, a strain. Uh, a heritage of Rachel and her descendants. Silence. Very, very important. The Nitziv, in uh, commenting on the instructions that Yaakov Ovinu gave to the Shvotim, Bayome Yisroel, Lomo Osem Li Lahagid Loish Haod Lochem Och. Why did you do me in, says Yaakov, to his sons, and tell the king, Yosef, the, the minister, that, no then it was Yosef, that you had another brother, and now you have to schlep in Yemen down to Egypt. But the Pesach says, not Yaakov said this, but Yisroel said this, and the Nitziv says, why Yisroel here? Because Yisroel is here in his role as a teacher. To teach you a strategy for all generations. When you're in exile among the Goyim. And you're going to be judged by others. You're going to be in difficult, difficult, difficult situations. The best thing is, quote of the Nitziv, don't speak more than you have to. Answer the question and don't say more. This is a, an old lesson that uh, unfortunately many of us have forgotten and we talk too much and forget we are in Golos. Esther presents the example of someone who knew how to keep her mouth shut. A very, very important lesson for us all.
And Mordechai, he was going to and fro in front of the Chotzer, waiting to hear something, waiting to hear something about Esther. There's a certain image that must come to mind when we see the picture in our heads, in our minds, in our imagination of Mordechai Mishalech, Mordechai walking to and from Lodas as Shalom Esther. And that, of course, is the image of Miriam hovering in the distance over the baby Moshe who is in the Yaor, who is in the Nile. She too, like Mordechai Miriam to Moshe, Mordechai to Esther. In the distance, but trying to be in touch with what is going on with this poor, helpless, in Miriam's case, Moshe, in Mordechai's case, Esther. And the Medrash says, Mordechai, who cared so much for this one Jewish soul, was rewarded in a sense. And eventually he was able to rise to the position of caring for the entire Jewish people. You seek out the welfare of this one person. Chayecha, I swear, says the Rebona Shlolo, Shesofcha Lidro Shalom Umo Shlema. You will once be in the, one day be in the position of seeking out the welfare of an entire nation toward the end of the Megillah. Mordechai is described as Doresh Tovli Amo Vidover Shalom Lechol Zaro. So there's the Shalom in this Pasuk, Lata'as as Shalom Esther, and there is a Shalom at the end of the Megillah. Here it's the Shalom of Esther, there it will be the Shalom of Kol Beis Yisrael. Uvahagia Tor Naro Venaro Lavoala Melechachashverosh. When it came the turn, for each and every one of these young women to come to the king Achashverosh. When they went through all of the rituals, the cosmetic beauty preparations, which took 12 months, those were the 12 months of special cosmetics. For six months, they went through a certain beauty treatment with the oil of more. And six months beauty treatment with special spices, with assorted feminine cosmetics. And after this treatment, then the young girl would come to the king. She was given everything she needed to her rendezvous with the king. Boerev Hivo, she would come at night to the king and spend a night with him. Uva Boker Hishovoil Besanoshim Sheni. Then she would go back to the harem. Chazal say Sheni, it was a different harem because what she went through with that one night, she was so ruined that she became ugly again. Elyad Shazgad Srishamelech Shomer Hapilakshim. She was given over to a different eunuch. No, not to Hegai, but to Shashgaz. And she never went back to the king unless the king wanted her. She was rejected, and that was the end of it. Unless the Melech called for her by name. 
here we are given in such detail, it's almost ugly, the, the, the measure by which this king was going to choose a queen. The measure was beauty, and the beauty was exaggerated, artificial, false, six months of this and six months of that. And each and every girl hoped, hoped that she would be picked as the queen, spent this one night, but after that night, her dreams were shattered, her life was ruined, she was rejected and discarded, and that was the end of her. But then there's a girl who had a different, different outcome. Slowly, slowly, the Balkore reads this pasuk. The other maidens, Kadmo v'yazloth, the film the Gon says, Each woman running, coming, jumping, wanting to be first. Esther? No. Munach, munach. Slowly, 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 she walks toward her rendezvous. And she remembers who she is. She is related to Mordechai. Mordechai brought her up. When it came her turn, she didn't ask for anything special. She had learned to trust this Haggai, who also thought very much of her, as we learned earlier, that she found favor in his eyes. So she follows his advice, and quietly, she's a woman above the others, different than the others, unique. Everyone who sees her likes her. She was taken to the king in the month of Teves. The month of Teves is, of course, the fast of the Asorobah Teves, which is the beginning of the siege of Jerusalem. Just as Jerusalem began to fall on Teves, so to Nebach, this young woman is taken to Achashverosh in the month of Teves, but a different outcome. We say this also traditionally, at least the way I was taught from the person who taught me to land in Megillah, the late lamented Sender Kolachol of Hashola. We begin this very slowly and sadly. There's a certain sadness to the fact that the king, Achashverosh, loved Esther more than all the other women. So it's Vayehah. But there's another Melech who is hinted at here. And that's the Melech Malchei Amlochim, the king of the universe. And that Melech also loved Esther. That king, king of all kings, raised her up and therefore dramatically we announce the ascension of this woman to the queenship 
Vayamlicheho Tachas Vashti. The king makes a mishte godol. Vayas hamelech mishte godol chol sorov avodov. Eis mishte yester. Vahanochol amdinos oso vayitein maseis kiat hamelech. The king made a great feast for all of his ministers. It was a feast in honor of Esther. He gave a special, uh, uh, what should we say, a special privilege to all of the Medinos and gave gifts. A Mishte Godol, we know, is a feast, not only a great feast, but a feast at which Godolim are present. So Chazal say, Abihud Rav Simen Omar, Godol Olomim Hoyosham. Namely, the great God, Rabbanishlolam, was there. Gedolei Olam were there. Uvihi koveitz besulos shenis. Umodecha Yoshei b'shahamelech. There seems to have been a second gathering of all these virgins, and Mordechai is sitting in the gate of the king. And Ein Esther magedes meladatov yesamo. Esther is still not telling her secret. Kasher tzivo leho Mordechai, as Mordechai told her. V'yes mama Mordechai Esther oso kasher hoiso v'yom no'ito. She keeps to Mordechai, Mordechai, she confided in Mordechai, she assured Mordechai that she would not tell who she's from, and she didn't do this. What is this Pasuk Yud Tesnchav talking about? How is it different from Psukim Yud and Yud Aleph? where we also learn there that Esther didn't talk and didn't disclose her Am and Moledes, and that Mordechai was hanging around the Chatzar Beis Hanoshim. And what is this second gathering of the Besulos? There are many, many ways to look at this, and Chazal do. And one of them, one, one approach is as follows. Esther was chosen a nobody. Nobody even knew who she was. And she was chosen. So all of the rejected women, and we don't know how many they were, but there were certainly many, they all gathered together in a great uproar. Who is this woman? Why is she the queen? What about us? What about us? Notice the difference. Back when we learned first about Mordechai, he was not sitting in the gates. He was mishalech. He was wandering around in, in the courtyard. Here he is sitting in the Sha'ar. Sitting in the Sha'ar means, sitting in the Sha'ar means in Tanakh, sitting as a judge. Mordechai was elevated to a new position. And Mordechai was elevated. And Esther, ain't Esther Magedes, before Lohigido Esther. Lohigido means she was asked, what's your nationality? And she pleaded the Fifth Amendment, I won't say. But then she got the question again and again and again and again. So it's not just lo higido Esther, but ein Esther Margedes. It's what's called the hove masmid. It is a, the present tense, which means constantly. She constantly, she consistently refused to disclose homoledes because ka'ashet sivo oleho mordechai. Very, very important aspect of things. The change now, a change in Mordechai and a change in Esther. Esther is being pressured to tell but still doesn't and Mordechai is now Yoshev Bishar HaMelech. Mordechai is given the position that 
was often given to Jewish people from Daniel through the Abarbanel to more modern times when kings trust in Jewish people to be their special advisors. And here too, Ahasuerus somehow gets it and makes Mordechai a Yoshev B'Shar HaMelech. Mordechai is now in a new, a very new um, position. For Chazal, by the way, it is Esther, Esther, who suggests to Ahasuerus, you know, it's time you got a Jew, a Jewish advisor. So therefore, um, let me suggest someone uh, to you. Let me suggest someone. And she is the one who suggests Mordechai. Here is how it is that this medrash is uh, described in um, Esther Rabba. I quote, Omrav Levi, well, let's continue a moment. Let's continue. Bayomim Hoheim, who Mordechai Yoshev Bishar HaMelech. In those days, Mordechai was sitting in the gates. Again, Mordechai is now in a prestigious position as a judge. And there he is privy to all sorts of discussions by highly placed persons. And it happened that Kotsaf Bikson Voseresh Neisorise HaMelech Mishomre Hasaf. Two of the special guardians of the king named Bigson and Seresh were angry um, at the king and wanted to kill him. What were they angry about? What were they upset about? Very possibly the two parts of this posuk are related to other to each other. Because Mordechai was placed by the king as a Yoshev B'Shah HaMelech, as a judge, as a person in a prestigious position, because of that, Kotsaf Bikson V'Seresh. Bikson V'Seresh were upset. Why this Jew boy and not us? And they wanted to kill the king Achashverosh and put the blame somehow on Mordechai, so that Mordechai, they would get rid of Achashverosh for one thing. On the other hand, they would get rid of Mordechai too, because he would be accused of being the um, uh, the murderer, the assassin of Achashverosh. But it didn't happen that way. Mordechai found out about it. And we know what Chazal say here that Big Son Voseresh plotted in some foreign language figuring this Jew boy might be a wise fellow and a good lawyer, he's in the Shar HaMelech, he's a, a judge, etc. But he doesn't know all the languages of the world. But they forgot that Mordechai was a member of Sanhedrin, say Chazal. And Sanhedrin had to know all the languages of the world. And he was an expert linguist besides being an expert jurist. And he became aware of what they were up to. And he told Esther, Esther told the secret that these two were plotting against the king, to the king, but she was careful to do so, she did it in Mordechai's name, and we all know what Chazal say about this. If you say something over the name of another person, 
you attribute a quotation to its proper source, you don't plagiarize, you give credit where credit is due, and Esther did that. She didn't say, I happen to know uh, about the plot against you, Mr. King, but rather she said, Uncle Mordechai told me, and presumably in the process now disclosed for the first time, who her uncle was and who her family was and that she was Jewish. My Jewish uncle Mordechai, the man you appointed as judge, he is the one who told me about the plot. So, indeed, it was investigated and it was found that Mordechai's right. There was such a plot. Vayitolu shneihem aleit spikson vaseresh were hung on a tree. And what did the king do for Mordechai? Nothing. What did the king do for the Jew who risked his life in a way and told the king about the assassination plot? Nothing. But he did inscribe it in the history books. Vayikosev besefer divrei hayomim lifnei hamelech. He had it written down in the Sefer Divrei Hayomim. Now we know, I already alluded to it once, that Chazal say that whenever it says HaMelech, of course it means the king HaChashverosh. But there's a deeper meaning, and Melech sometimes means the king, the king of all kings. And here Chazal say in the Medrash Rabbah, a beautiful, beautiful thought, and with this we close. Rabbi Levi said in the name of Rav Acho, Imagine, here you have a human being, who has a book, an archives, a diary, uh, the records of the kingdom. So it's just ordinary records of a human being. But look at how significant they are. And this little fact, as we will see in the rest of the story, becomes an essential point in the entire story. And it becomes the vehicle through which the Jewish people are ultimately saved. This fact is noted in the books. And if it's noted in the human books, and things recorded in human records can have such consequences. Sifro shel al achas kamo kamo. How then... How much more so is that book in which God himself inscribes every little thing that we do. How much more significant is that book? And that's the book of which, is, of which it is written toward the very end of the Nevi'im in Malachi Perakimol. Oznid that the Ribbon Shalom has his Sefer Zikaron in which he writes down every little thing. And if the book of a human being, of a human Achashverosh, can be of such significance, imagine how the book of God, the book by which God records our deeds, will have great, great significance. And the good deeds that we do will become the vehicle of the Geula, the vehicle of the redemption. And so... A long but beautiful Perik, Perik Gimel of Megillas Esther comes to a close. Tomorrow we'll turn our attention to Perik Gimel to the third Perik.